Tonight's readings are from Luke. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So we're going to have a few readings in a row, all of them sort of combining and going together. Um, why don't I open us up in a word of prayer, and then we're going we're gonna to jump into this passage and, and see what's here in plain sight for us to see. So let's pray. Father, be with us, calm us, calm our hearts and our spirits. Um, remove the distractions from our minds, the things that are calling for our attention, the stresses of our week. It's a very busy time that we've made this time, that we're supposed to be focusing on you and thanking you for the peace you bring into our worlds, yet we tend to make it less peaceful. So I pray that for this moment, that it would be peaceful and that we could be present. Um, speak to us, speak to me, speak to each of us. Um, give us what we need. Thank you. In your name, amen. So there is an ancient word um, that describes uh, Mary's situation, the passage Tiffany just read. Um, it's a very simple word. It's the word anawim. Everyone say anawim. Very good. Uh, I'm going to do this over and over to make sure you're awake because it's normally morning and we've got coffee and stuff. Um, so uh, it, it's a simple word that means the faithful remnants. It basically stood for, as theologians say, the poor ones who remained faithful to God in times of great difficulty. Um, this is what Mary was. This is what uh, Joseph was. Um, they would regularly gather at the temple and stand on the steps of the temple and pray out to God for the things that they wanted to see come in the world. And at the same time, offering thanks for the things that they had. It was a very hopeful way of being. So there's another character here that, uh, that Tiffany's going to read about. His name is Zechariah. Um, and so go ahead and, and read that story for us. There was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at this birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And behold... You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So you have Zachariah and Elizabeth um, living day to day, growing old into their old age, uh, barren. This was actually um, a really important thing in, in the first century to have children, because your children were sort of your, 
um, retirement plan, if you will. They were your 401k. They, you raise them, and then when you're old, they take care of you in the same way you took care of them. It's this cycle completing things going back to where they started. Someone takes care of you, you take care of them, and then you are taken care of. Um, and so without children... They didn't have much of a future with their family lineage, their story being told and known. They were in jeopardy of being wiped off of the earth. And they were waiting and waiting, and then God enters into the story. And so we're going to read about someone else here named Simeon, um, who is at the temple when they bring Jesus to be dedicated as a baby. Go ahead. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So, Simeon, also growing old, waiting day in and day out, living his life, serving God in the temple, uh, worshiping, doing the things that, that he was commanded to do by the Lord, doing them faithfully, and all with the purpose of, of um, bringing people to Christ. He was a priest. He worked in the temple. That was his job, connect people to God. Now, um, there is one more story here we're going to read. Um, her name is Anna, uh, so go ahead. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. All right. Thank you. Um, so we have four stories here. The last one ends with this woman, Anna. Um, so basically she's widowed after only being married eight years, and a widow in the first century didn't have a life of her own. She couldn't really work and make an income. It was a very um, patriarchal society. And... Part of the tithes that came in to the temple, everyone, all the, all the, uh, the Israelites gave 10% of their income to the temple, and that was set aside to feed the orphans and the widows and to do social justice work in the city. And so this woman had nowhere else to go or nowhere else to live, so she lived in the temple. If you do the math, she lived in the temple for 65 years. And it says that she prayed and fasted and worshiped and gave thanks to God and she waited, and she waited. And it says there came a point where Jesus comes into the temple with his parents, and they are dedicating him at the temple, offering the appropriate sacrifices. Um, this guy, Simeon, starts freaking out and says, this is what I've been waiting for. My entire life is to lay eyes on this child. Um, and then this woman, Anna, hears, and she comes running up, and she's filled with joy because she's been waiting for this also, that, like worshiping God, and she knows that this child is incredibly important to their people. And it says that she, it literally says that she ran out and spoke to all the others who were also waiting. So we have four stories here, four people waiting for God to do something, day in, day out, calling, praying, asking for meeting for purpose, for, for freedom from their bondage. 
And there's apparently tons more in the story. We only have four of them. And there's lots of people wrapped up in this story of Jesus, the child, God in the flesh, entering into this world, the Messiah that they have been long awaiting for. So, um, so they've been waiting and waiting. So let's talk about, um, let's talk about time in the first century um, in the Greco-Roman idea. Because um, there, there's a word for time. It is the word chronos. Everyone say chronos. Very good. It's where we get our word chronology. It's where we get um, chronograph. It has to do with the measurement of time. Um, it is measurable time. It is seconds, minutes, days, months, years, hours. Um, it is time that we live in. It's when we speak about time. This is typically what you think of. And you would think, well, there's obviously no other words for time, but in the Greek there is. There's a word which we don't actually have um, a word for, an equivalent to. Um, but it is actually a word that is used many times in scriptures. And it's not chronos. Um, it's used here in Luke chapter 1, um, where the angels look and they say, Behold, you will be silent and un- unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And so the word that the angels use, first off, they're talking to Zechariah, who the angel appears to him and tells him something, and he's like, nah, doesn't believe the angel of all people. Um, and he doesn't believe him, and so he says, okay, well, you're not going to be able to talk until um, the thing happens at the appointed time. The word he uses for time is this word kairos, um, so the difference is where, where chronos is quantitative, you can measure it and you can plan, you can use math and figure out lengths of time. Kairos is qualitative. It's not about how long a length of time is. It's about the meaning of that moment. It's about the weight of that moment. Uh, we never use, you, you read the word glory in scriptures. That, that, that word really at its root means weight. And it's a moment where people understand that the moment you ever hear people say, especially like in politics, they say this is a historic moment. That's not talking about chronos, that's kairos. And so there's chronos and there's kairos. Chronos is minutes. Kairos is moments. It is meaning in the moments. Now, um, there is all kinds of personifications in the, in the first century Greek that they would use when, when there's an idea like time, they would personify it to better help people understand it. And so um, we've all heard of Father Time, right? Um, that, that idea, that's a personification of time. Father Time is taking your time away. He's moving fast. Um, that idea actually comes from this um, Greek mythological figure. His name is Saturn, um, and he represents Kronos. He is usually carrying a sickle, and he's usually carrying an um, hourglass. And actually, it's very hard to find a picture of him where he's, where he's not it sounds terrible, and it is where he's not devouring a baby, like eating it. Um, it was how he was regularly painted and drew and carved in the in first century sort of reliefs of him. Um, and the idea is simple. Um, he takes everything from you, your whole life, thing after thing after thing, and when you have nothing left to take, he takes you. That's the idea of Saturn, Father Time, Kronos. Um, and so there is also a personification for Kairos, and it's, it's quite brilliant. It's, uh, his name is Lysippos, and he's always pictured as carrying a razor in his hand because he is uh, sharper than any edge. Um, he's always portrayed as running on his, on his toes with wings on his feet, 
because he runs like the wind and he moves with the wind and he also has wings to fly with the wind. Um, and so the really interesting parts here are he has hair that hangs over the front of his face um, and none in the back. Okay, so this was not a popular hairstyle back then. This was a way of describing Kairos, where if you see him coming, you can grab him by the hair, by his forelocks, as they would say. Hey, grab, grab Lysipos by the forelocks. It's something you'd say, because once he passes by, he's got no hair and there's nothing to grab, right? So if you see him coming and you are ready, you can seize Kairos, the opportunity that is coming. But if you aren't paying attention and you miss it, it will fly by and you will have lost your opportunity. It cannot be gained back. Now, this was a really huge idea in the first century. Kronos and Kairos. You could speak of the measurement of time or you could speak of the meaning and the weight and opportunity that Kairos is, that each moment represents. So um, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it was written by, uh, it says that it was written by a man named Kohelet, the, the teacher. Um, and so there's this brilliant line that we've heard used in songs and everything. It says this, uh, it's in chapter three. It says, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. So when this ancient Hebrew passage was translated into the first century Greek, it's a book called the Septuagint. It was what the um, New Testament Christians read. They read the scriptures in the Greek. They translated this passage, the word time in each sentence as not chronos, but kairos. And how many times have you read this passage and said, well, it's chronos. There's a time to plant. Later on, there'll be a time for, you know, reaping what you sow. Um, But that's not actually what it's saying. It says, to everything there is a season and a time, an opportunity in every situation to plant and to harvest, to learn and to teach, to start new things, birth new things, and kill old things. Every opportunity, every moment, every season has its chances, not of chronos, but of kairos, of meaning coming into it. Now, this is very important uh, for the ancient people to understand because um, we live in chronos, but we are waiting for kairos. And every moment of the day, you ever feel like the time is passing by and you're just trying to get to the end of the day so you can go to bed because the next day is coming. And three years from now, you see where you're working towards. And right now is just kind of filler. You're in Kronos and you're waiting for Kairos. Right? And the scriptures have a lot to say about each and every moment and what it can mean. Um, oftentimes, you read the scriptures and you see these epic stories. And it's just epic story after epic story after epic story. And it all just looks so fantastic. And you kind of ask yourself questions like, what would it be like to be here and see this? What was this really like? What about this experience and this experience? And these stories that you read, and they're so fantastic. And and then um, you look at your life, and there's laundry and your clothes are dirty, and you got to clean them, and your dishes are dirty, and you're hungry, but you don't want to dirty the kitchen because it's clean, but you have to. Otherwise, you got to spend a bunch of money and go get food. Um, and you're, there's traffic, and there's work, and so-and-so, you know they got the text, and they haven't texted you back. 
You're like, I know you saw that. It's right there, right above my text. Uh, like, I, I know you saw it. And this is your life. It's this mundane one thing to the next, right? And you think, well, scriptures aren't like this. But when we dove into that story, that passage surrounding the birth of Christ, there's these individual stories of these people living lives very similar to yours. And they're living and they're waiting and they're being faithful. They're the Anoim. They are the faithful remnant of Israel. They're the people in the temple. And they say, hope is coming. Hope has come before and hope is coming. And I praise God for the good things that I have. And I call out for more good things and for the emptiness that I still have to be filled and the emptiness that is in this world to be filled. And I call out to God daily on the steps and I pray for these things. And so all of this time, 65 years is going by. And every day they're calling for Kairos into their moments, into their Kronos, right? Now, um, oftentimes we, we tend to think of the big picture and how the big picture has meaning. And you tell the story and the story in its entirety has all of this meaning, But when we are living, we don't live in the big picture. We live in the small little pieces of the picture. And our life moves kind of through. And sometimes the best way to describe this is to draw stupid pictures. So uh, this is is you, and the square is your day. All right? And your day is fine. You don't hate your day. It's okay. Like, it's, it's here, and you're living it. Sometimes it's worse. Sometimes it's better. All in all, it's kind of the same every single day. It's your day. Now, you have these ideas that one day I'm going to get a nicer car and I'm going to get a raise and there's a little bit of color in your day and it's a little better, right? And you're pretty happy with that. And then you're going to have, you know, you're going to have a family, you're going to get a new house, you're going to move to a new city, you're going to do something. And there's just, you know, you see in the future there's going to be lots of color and then sometimes you get it and the days are very colorful. And psychologists say any life changes really that you experience, um, they only, they only like the newness of it lasts about three months and then it's normalized. So you dream of buying a new car, and you get that new car, and three months later, it's just your car. And then eventually, you wake up, and you're here again, and it's your day again. And you made more money, and you're eating at nicer restaurants, and you're buying nicer clothes, and stuff's getting nicer all around you in your life, but your day still feels like this. And your your Kronos just keeps ticking, and you're kind of looking for Kairos, and you're just, one day, it's over there. And then... you get this picture in your head that life is supposed to be this epic story like the Bible. Why doesn't my life like look anything like what I see in the scriptures? I mean, sometimes you look at you look at a piece of art and it's, it's big and it's kind of beautiful. And then um, you're like, well, why doesn't I know one day my, my life will, will have this big sort of epic meaning and purpose. and, And people will look at, look at me and they will say things to me like great job. Like that, you must be so happy. I can tell you're happy. And, and that's what I'm looking for, and that's what I'm working for. Um, but the fact is, if you zoom in, this is you. It's just, this, these are your days. It's thread, and it's paper, or it's, it's paint on a canvas, and it's one brushstroke at a time. When You're kind of looking at the big picture of art, and you're kind of thinking, why doesn't my life look like that? So there's this guy who uh, 
Uh, I think his name was Mike Urban, and he, he did this TED Talk once, and he talked about what's called the pixel theory. Um, and you know how when you look at a picture, it's, it can be as beautiful as you want, but no matter how far, if you zoom in really, really far, eventually you're going to see the whole thing is made up of these tiant, I mean, giant, tiant, that's giant and tiny in one word. See that? <laughs> I ate a lot of cookies. Um, this <laughs> tiny, these tiny little squares is what this entire thing is made up of. And he says, you're in the square. That's you. You're in the square. Um, and oftentimes, though, you walk through life like you're in a museum, and you look at other people's lives, and you say, well, look at, all the, look at the meaning in their life. Look what they're doing. They must have so much meaning. And look at them. And, and you, you, you want your life to look like that, but then you zoom in on their life, and you get in their head, and they're just doing the same thing, walking around looking at everyone else's life. And you're all just living through Kronos. And we see Kairos everywhere else, but not here. And we kind of want it in ourselves. And here's the thing, the story of the scriptures, it's, it, it's, when you really zoom in, it's not this big epic thing. We, we didn't go from creation to Israel in bondage, straight through the desert into Jerusalem, and then Jesus is born, and then the death, burial, resurrection, and they're watching him in the sky, and it's just, oh, it's the thing from, it's this movie epic. There are thousands of tiny stories all throughout this thing. And this entirety of this massive story is made up of you and me over and over and over and over whom God used just to move the needle. And he wants you to know that he's there in all of it. And in your best moments, he was there. And in your worst moments, he was there. And he's guiding it. And he's asking you to open up and find meaning in all of it. And so the challenge of God's people, I think, oftentimes is, as Jesus said, bring the kingdom of God, that future that we're waiting for, here. I mean, we're here celebrating. This is a specific month. This is, I mean, this is Kronos at its finest. Every 12 months, we all get together and we tell the same story, right? 12 months, we tell the story of Jesus entering into this world. And what does this story mean? It means that Jesus has brought peace. And we say this, Jesus has brought peace into the world. But there's still a whole bunch of war, even in ourselves. And we say Jesus has brought hope, but there's still so much that, that is not the way it should be. And there is so much that we are afraid of. We say Jesus has brought healing, and there's still so much brokenness in this world. We say Jesus has brought salvation, but everyone and everything is not yet safe. And we say that Jesus has come, but we also say that he's coming. And so we live in this Kronos, and we are calling out for Kairos. That's what Christmas is. It's the declaration that Jesus has come and is coming into every moment. I mean, when you look at the story of Jesus himself, the story Jesus entered into was not this epic thing. There was Mary and Zechariah, Anna and Simeon and a whole bunch of other people who were just living their lives and waiting. And Jesus says, that is what I enter into. He says, there's, there's, I'm not somewhere else. I'm not in some big epic story somewhere. It's not in the big wide brushstrokes. It's in the daily just little things. And I'm there. And you have to trust that as you move forward and as you are a faithful remnant, I am building something bigger than you. And it's not just going to encompass you. Everyone who is here in your life, in your 
faith community, in your family, in your city, they are part of this thing that God is building. And so Christmas is a, is a, is a really interesting time because we celebrate what God will do and what God is doing. And so I, the reason I want to point out these tiny little pictures of these tiny little, little people in the story, if you will, is that this story, we, we wouldn't be telling it without them. It wouldn't have happened without them. Those big moments that you have that you're looking forward to one day, they're not going to happen if not for the tiny little moments each and every day you have. You want to be closer to God. You want to have this life that is fulfilling and rich. It, it, it has to do with everything that you are doing in each and every moment. Are you responding with love and reconciliation? Are you reaching out? Are you bringing healing into this world, into your life, into the relationships around you? Um, are you apologizing? Are you reconciling? And it's, it's not, life is not lived in the big picture. It's lived one pixel at a time. And that's all it will ever be. And so the goal is to bring Kairos into that moment. That's what the story of Jesus is. It's the cosmic God entering into the pathetic lives of people. Uh, 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 probably a 13-year-old girl who was poor and engaged. And by the way, when he came, it ruined her reputation, right? And then he's born and he sleeps in a, in a trough for the cattle to feed from. And they take him to the temple. And, and if you ever look at the sacrifices and you look up what that meant, the sacrifices they offered at the temple meant that they were extremely poor. They weren't even normal poor. And these are the moments that Jesus entered into. And there's all these people there who, I mean, God knew all this meaning into all these little things. And so, um, so here we are, and it's, and it's Christmas. And this epic story. And so every year there's a segment of, of our church, of our community, that, that this particular year is different. Last year, there was people who said, well, this Christmas is different. Maybe there's loss. There's, there's brokenness. There's someone's missing. Um, you're missing from the family. There's been a falling out. There's been a loss entirely. There's just something is different. There's no money. There's no place to live. You've lost a lot of things. And, and so you are here, and you've come to celebrate Jesus entering into the story, but the story you're telling is really epic, and you don't feel like your life's very epic right now, right? And so this year's the same. I know there's people who this year's different. And it's a little harder to say, Jesus has come and brought salvation and healing when there's so much that is broken and not yet safe in your life. So much danger. And Jesus has brought hope, but there's still a lot of like, I don't know, hopelessness here and there, different parts of your life. And you kind of expected that your life, there's like this mountain, and you're going to be climbing this mountain, and at one point, you're going to look back and say, this is my life, and it's epic, and it's amazing, but somewhere, stuff just fell, and it's not like you thought it was going to be. You expected things to be different, take a different turn in your life, and it sometimes feels like Father Time is taking things one at a time from your life, and eventually, he's just going to take you. I know people in this room feel like that. Jesus has come at the appointed time into your life. And he is coming at the appointed time. Jesus has brought peace 
and he is bringing peace. And so Christmas is that time of year when no matter what is happening in this world and in our lives, we stop and we say, this is exactly the kind of thing that Jesus was born into. That's what he does. That's what God does. From Genesis till birth in the manger, God is flying over a meaningless, empty blackness, darkness, just meaningless. And he says, I'm going to enter into that. I'm going to do something there. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. And, and God has the ability and the power and the will and desire, if you are open, to enter into this very moment and to fill you with awareness that God is here and he's drawing you in and that he's not upset, that he's not angry with you, that he is showering love upon you and you have nothing to be worried about. And you can come to that place, that mindset, right? So he has come and he is coming and God is with us and the big picture will be his and the daily pictures and the brush strokes will be ours, right? And so with every brush stroke that we make every single day, um, this is what we celebrate. And so it's really important that every 12 months we come back to this place and we say, yeah, things have gotten rough this year, but you know what? Jesus was born into that, that roughness. He came into that. And in every season, there is a time that I can learn and I can plant. I can, I can sow and I can reap. And I can start new things and I can kill old things. Right? And so we're going to take communion. Because communion is the picture of all this. Jesus poured himself out. He entered into your story, and then what did he do? He poured himself out for you. It wasn't just enough that he associated and affiliated with you. He then gave his life, everything, for you. All right? And so our communion servers, you guys can go ahead to the back and, and get the elements and, uh, and spread around the room. Now, I know on days like this, um, Christmas and Easter, you get a lot of people come out of the woodworks and go to church for whatever reason. That's fine. I'm glad you're here. I get it. Um, maybe you don't feel like it's kind of, it's your environment. That's fine. Um, I want to, I'm, I'm glad you're here. And I want to explain what's going on here because communion, maybe you've heard weird things. Maybe you don't get it. Um, communion is it's very simple. It's the, the root word of communion is the word common. They're just common things. It's bread and it's wine. And the idea of Christianity is that God enters into the common things and gives them meaning, infuses them with purpose and hope. And so that's just what we're talking about. These are common things, bread and wine. And there's also another word for it, the Eucharist, which means the good gift. The good gift is that Jesus suffered and died for many reasons, among them to reconcile with you to show you his love, to draw you to himself. There's a lot wrapped up in this story. And Christianity is a conversation about all of this. And so our communion servers are going to spread around the room and we're going to take some time and we take the bread and we rip it off and we, we dip it in the, in the wine glass and we eat it. And we say, Father, there's places in my heart where I don't understand what's going on and, and you don't have control of them and they are dark. And so I want your gospel, your message of love and reconciliation and healing to touch those parts of my life because I need it. And so if you are here this morning and you're into that and, and you're a follower of Christ, I would welcome you to come on up and take communion with us. And so then after communion, we're, gonna, we're going to uh, sing a few more songs, shall we? So um, let's pray. Also, during communion, if you haven't gotten your candles at the back, grab a few because we're going we're gonna to light them while we sing some songs. And it's going to be nice. All right?